Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today is Tamara Keller, a founding partner and chief operating officer of the Sachs Agency. And Tamara's held a range of different titles first engineer, project manager, eventually leading to financier, and now creative and culturally focused marketer. We're going to find out about that journey. There's a lot of stops along the way. And she's one of the founding partners, as I mentioned, of the Sachs Agency, which is a one-stop shop agency focused on impacting the lives of people through their culturally inspired work with brands. And Tamara's put in the groundwork while working on high-profile projects such as the Tier 57 project, which was revitalizing Hudson Yards and everything they built there, analyzing and managing the multi-billion dollar budget of the United States Department of Transportation. That's that's some heavy stuff right there. And serving on plenty of engineering and financial projects with companies like Deloitte. And now she's leading initiatives with clients like the Will and Jada Smith Foundation, Family Foundation, the Golden State Warriors, Amber Rose, and other premier brands. And we got a ton of ground to cover and dig into her story and find out a lot more. I'm excited. Tamara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting. What a great well, intro. <laughs> I try. I, I aim to please there. Um, and you and I connected um, probably about a month ago when we really had a fantastic conversation. Um, and, I and I wish, I remember we were talking and I said, I wish I was able to record and hit the record button while we were having that chat. So we're going to try to duplicate it. Uh, I'll let a little bit of bells and whistles into it. But why don't you do us a favor, please, and enlighten everybody and bring us up to speed. How did you get from where you were to where you are now? Broad question, but... Yeah, let's, let's take them there. Well, I don't know if I can do better than what you just did in the intro, but um, let's see. You know, I I knew early on that I wanted to be an engineer. You know, I I think I saw an episode of Sesame Street when I was maybe four or five, and I saw that all of the cool jobs, you know, seem to be held by men. And I'm like, hey, I want to do something cool. And in that particular day, there was an episode about an engineer, and, and it was a man. And I said, I have no idea what that is, but I just started saying at a very young age, I wanted to be an engineer. And I think as um, I went through school and, and went through all of the education associated with it, I learned that more than anything, I really just liked solving problems and being a critical thinker. And so engineering kind of led me down that path. But I, I knew very early on also that I'm a talker. And I needed to do something more personable. And so, you know, yes, I, as you mentioned, I worked with the federal government. I worked with Deloitte. And then, you know, we got into this entrepreneurial journey. And I feel like I finally found my place and, in, in, you know, where I'm supposed to be. I love it. And it takes a journey, right? And some yeah. people, some people find their calling, you know, no college, right after college, before college, whenever it is. And some people, 
it takes a long time. You know, it took me 37 years to figure out what I wanted to do here. But let's get back to you. Show's about you. I talk a lot, but the show's about you. Um, and your career, your career breakdowns we talked about, you've, you've really jumped around a bit. Um, and now you're working in the, in the creative side and the culturally engaging side. How has your purpose adapted over time through each one of these destinations? How is it adapted and how is it better aligned to what your true calling is? That's such a great question. You know, I think every entrepreneur start, well, not every entrepreneur, some entrepreneurs are lucky to just fall into what they love to do. But I think for my partner and I, you know, we started off working with brands because we needed the income, right? So we started working and, and trying to just hone our skills because neither of us actually came from the marketing background. And I think that- Which is interesting, of, which is- yeah. yeah. It's part of our secret sauce, actually, I think, because I think that marketers definitely think a certain way. And now that we've been doing it for almost a decade, we've been exposed to so many who've only been in this space. And it, it really kind of sets us apart from everyone else. But, you know, in the beginning, we worked on projects that, you know, not everyone was someone that we love to work with and, and not every can always pick and choose. Absolutely. Um, but every project you learn something from. And I think that as now we're approaching, like I said, our 10th year, you know, well, we're, and we just had our eighth anniversary a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, when you think about the decade mark, you're like, okay, how do we get closer to where we want to be? Like, we're both really driven um, in impactful type of work. So, you know, we sit on boards and we mentor and we're very he heavily involved in you know, youth and, and education and, and forwarding that type of work. And so we try to make sure that like our work aligns where it can, you know, like you said, we can't always choose, always choose the projects, but we try to make sure that as entrepreneurs, we have the power to work with the people, especially at this stage in our company's career, work with the people that align more with our values and, and mindset. And so we are very picky in how we choose our clients. And so I think that our success continues to grow because when you're really working along the thread that, you know, makes you happy and, and is aligns with your passion, doors really will start to open for you. And it sounds so cliche, but it really is true. It's true when you could actually see it, you know, put into practice, but let's hit the rewind button for a moment. How is the Saks agency formed? I mean, you mentioned your part, you and your partner, you know, you didn't come from the traditional marketing background. How'd you say, hey, you know what? We're going to do this. We're going to jump into a marketing agency. Yeah. I, you know, to be as transparent with you as possible, people might judge me, but Jack Daniels started the Saks agency because one day we were on her of my business partner's couch and we came up with this show idea. And, you know, as alcohol does for most people, it makes you think you're the brightest mind. It's in a the social world. lubricant. Yes. And, you know, we, we came up with this show idea. We thought it was magnificent. Um, and several years later, she was having conversations with some friends that were in the unscripted space. And they said, you know, she told them about the show and they said, hey, you guys could actually sell that show. It's an amazing show. Fast forward, we hired what was uh, considered to be, according to Google search, um, one of the best marketing firms in Los Angeles. And we hired them to help us shop our project. And to say that we were less than thrilled with the work that they provided for us, um, you know, that would be an understatement. And so we were like, we could do all of this. We just don't have the time. And then we started to realize that there were a lot of people who had Jack Daniels social lubricant ideas in Los Angeles and lots of shows being pitched. And what there wasn't a lot of 
were people who could do both, right? People who could see the creative vision, but people who could also market it and actually see projects through. And so um, we decided that we needed to make some money and we were going to go more on the strategic and execution side. And ironically, a lot of people actually pushed us there. Like they would see our show, but then they would see our treatments or hear our pitches and, you know, just hear or look at the way that we executed even coming in their door in the entire process. And I think that that really, um, you know, getting those nudges along the way of like, you know, this is what you guys probably should be doing was really helpful. And so all of a sudden we decided to start the sex agency. And so yeah. here we are. <laughs> and let's talk, let's talk about those early days and the struggles and the challenges and, and the successes too. But let's talk about the early challenges of going in and pitching and winning business. What kind of struggle was that? Oh my goodness. It's still a struggle. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we, we pitched for Apple and, you know, there's, there's not a moment I, I tell everyone, every client is so different. It doesn't matter. You know, we, we've worked now with six to eight colleges and universities every single time. It's like a new thing. It's yeah. not something that you can just have this script, this magical script. And every time the client is ready to talk, you say the script because every client's needs are different, even if innately or, you know, underlying there's this you know, desire to just reach more people or sell more goods or widgets or whatever it is. I think that every client wants you to resonate with them in a different way. And so it really makes you tailor everything. So every pitch is like the first pitch, every pitch still, you know, I get a little nervous, you know, is this, am I going to be able to read this person? Is, is this the need, you know, I've done my research, but is this the need that they actually want me to speak on? So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that never gets old. Um, it, it's kind of exciting in a, in a weird way too, but I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's interesting. And, and you said something that made me think it's, it's that every pitch seems like the first time and it makes you nervous. And I think that's really important to keep you grounded. Otherwise I think people get cocky and they get overconfident. I think being nervous, but confident keeps you on that clear trajectory and focused on the mission, which is to pitch and win that business. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there, there's a, a very unique way that both my business and I, my business partner and I pitch. She comes from a sales background. And so she has a very confident spiel, right? And so like when she's speaking, she just, you know, she could sell an ice cube to an, to an Eskimo, right? That's just who she is. On the flip side of that, you know, I don't know if she gets nervous. I've actually never asked her, but on the flip side of that, I am more of a, like, I, I'm, I'm an emotional appeal kind of person because, you know, like I said, a lot of our work tends to stem from like whether or not we care about the project we're potentially going to work on. And so I try to like understand like the underlying emotion of people so that it helps me figure out like whether or not this is actually a project I want to work on. So I think that's where part of my nervousness comes from is just not knowing that I can't do the work. I know I'm confident in being able to do the work, but more so in whether or not this client is a good fit for us and our brand and myself. Right. So let's, let's, let's dive on that for a minute there, right? Like talking about the type of clients, who and what are the type of clients that you work best with and work best with you? Mm -hmm. So we kind of run two different sides of the house. Um, we have like an entertainment side uh, that focuses a lot on, you know, what my business partner calls the fun side. So it's like a lot of culturally re relevant stuff. So anything from like movies to influencers to cannabis to lifestyle type of stuff. And All then the on fun the other stuff side, in life. Yeah. Well, thanks for, 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 for <laughs> All for the socially lubricants. All the social lubricants. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah. She actually also has an alcohol client. So there you go. Um, on my side of the house, we focus more on like corporate and um, like I have a federal client, a federal agency, a state agency, um, a city agency, uh, colleges and universities. So you, you have know, the whole nonprofit. monopoly board. So you have like the monopoly board and she's got the the fun stuff. Got it. Okay. She has to go to jail. Right. You have B&O Railroad, you know. Okay. Got it. Exactly. But it worked out well because, you know, like I was saying, the earlier, we don't have a traditional marketing firm because we're not traditional marketers, which means a lot of marketing firms tend to focus on one industry. We always knew we didn't want to be that kind of firm, right? And so what it allows for us to do by working on different types of clients is we try strategies that typically aren't thought of. Like, you know, what she does in entertainment or for a cannabis client, for instance, I would not have thought to do maybe for a college or university, but then I'm like, huh, let's figure out how we yeah. can make it work. And vice right. versa. How do you apply that tactic and strategy? You know, it's proven Absolutely. out. Will it work for the other side of the house? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. All so right, it, it worked really well. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about culture, right? And I'd love to hear how you define culture and why it's important for brands to really have a strong pulse on what's happening out there and, you know, be mindful of their actions. Yeah. You know, I think culture really is two two words. What's relevant, right? Like, I think you can go beyond and say, oh, it's, you know, the thoughts and the actions and, you know, what's trending and all of those things. But honestly, I think, you know, even if I think about like culture from the past, it, it still relates to what's relevant today. When I think about anything that is, you know, from the food we eat, you know, the organics or the non-GMOs, it's culturally relevant to be clean food eaters, right? Or if I think about the music, it's like we're driven by Cardi B and, and those types of artists, it's culturally relevant. It, I mean, it's what's relevant now. And so I think culture just simply stated is what's relevant. It's like, it could be applied to every single industry you can think of. So, you know, yeah, we a, could go deeper and, and apply it to, you know, make it longer definition, but I think it's just about relevancy. Right. I mean, sometimes keeping it simple is is the right way to do it, but let's talk about how the pandemic has really destabilized culture. And let's talk about how it's driven brands to do good things and, and bad things and how important it is now more than ever for these companies and brands to be in tune with what's going on there. I'd love to get your perspective on what brands are doing well, what they're not doing well and how you're helping them out during this time. Yeah. You know, it, now that we're getting this second wave, I feel like we're starting to have these conversations a lot more about, you know, brands wanting to pick back up and make sure that everything they said back in April, they're actually saying again in December. <laughs> right. Let's not forget um, all that stuff that we said we were standing behind and doing and actioning. And then the summer came and now we're back to everything's OK. And now it's not right now. It's not again. Right. You know, there was this huge push. And, you know, I'm thankful because my business partner very early on in the push you know, said for the first time, we as an agency, you know, we've always been a minority woman disadvantaged business certified certified company, but we've never been screaming it from the mountaintops, right? Like we never just stood behind that platform and, and told everyone, you know, we tried to just say, we're really smart. We're really talented. Hire us because of that. And I think for the first time, my business partner was like, you know what, this is the time where we need to invest in ourselves and make that voice, our leading voice, right? Like the fact that we are women, the fact that we are women of color and the fact that we are able to speak to the communities that all of these brands need to reach because we are that community, right? And so uh, we were tasked um, 
by a lot of different magazines, a lot of different brands early on to provide statements and to review DEI statements and that kind of thing. And, you know, I think that a lot of people have seen in the media over the last couple of months that every Fortune 500 company made these elaborate statements, but then research has showed that not many of them are actually following up with them, right? Yep, exactly. And so it, it's a sad thing, but I will say that all, there all are- All talk and no action. Yeah, but there are some brands that are, you know, walking that walk. And I think that next year, you know, top of next year, we'll start to see where these positions are being filled and where this money is actually being poured into the things that they said that they were going to do. It's too soon to, you know, start to to whip them for not doing things yet. But I will say that probably half of them will fall out. (laughs) Right. But let's talk about it on a personal level. I mean, how does it make you feel that it took, you know, these unfortunate, tragic events, you know, to really bring these issues to light? Why why wasn't this top of mind beforehand? Why did it take, you know, the George Floyd travesty to happen for for this to come into the limelight? You know, I, I think that's a difficult question for me to answer because for someone like me, this has been at the forefront of my life since I was born, right? And so, you know, one of the reasons outside of of Jack Daniels that we started the company is because when I was working at a at a former company, um, I found out that someone with inferior education, less responsibility, <laughs> anything you could think of, you know, in that list and that vein of thinking was making approximately $10,000 more than I was. And he was a a white man and, you know, was also younger than me. So not that age matters, but in this instance, it did because it meant less less experience. And, you know, it's one of those things that I've faced throughout my entire life. And so it, I guess when all, when the rest of the world started recognizing it, I didn't, it it didn't sadden me. It it made me glad to know that there were other people who have felt who are feeling and who would feel the things that I've felt for decades after, you know, trying to overperform in high school, overperform in college and grad school and all of those things and still, you know, being looked at as less than. Um, and so I, I'm excited that we're in this time period where the conversations are flowing a little bit more, but there's also that slight trepidation where it's like sometimes the, the conversations can go left, especially given the political climate that we've all been experiencing. Um, but, you know, I think time will tell with each of these conversations how it's going to play out and, and hopefully they'll get easier and actually evoke change, you know. And I certainly appreciate you sharing that perspective. And it's interesting to sit back, you know, especially from my seat. I mean, I'm a I mean, I'm a white guy, right? These are things that I've never had to think about in my life, right? And people call that privilege and also understanding what privilege means, not in the traditional sense of the word privilege, but those things that I never had to think about and really listening. And I think it's been a time where no matter what side you're on, just to take a moment and listen, listen to somebody else's perspective, listen to where they're coming from, listen to what the hell they're saying and the reason and the story behind it. And to just give you a sense of where they're coming from. And I think that most of us have been able to do that. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people whose minds you're never going to change. But even changing, you know, it sounds cliche, but changing one person's mind or thought and, you know, changing the way that they move forward in their own personal life is critical. And that's a success, too. And the same thing with brands, too. And if, if it took a travesty like this to, to, to wake a brand up and to do things the right way, then, then, then it's all for good. Yeah. It's so funny that you say that, Adam, because... 
my father is actually white. And so when all of this happened, I shared with him the story about my my how I was feeling and like what happened at my old job and all of those things. And he was so taken aback because what these protests did for a lot of households was it made race a conversation that everyone needed to have, even if you didn't want to. Especially you had to have these awkward conversations if they had to. Especially be. in a multiple multi dinner tables are never the same. Yeah. Right. You know, like my mom is black and my dad is white. And so it's, you know, trying to explain to both of them what it's like to be in this middle ground and mm-hmm. have them understand. My dad is like, I never knew that you went through that because he legitimately only sees his daughter and her talents. And so it was mind boggling to him that someone could see me as less than. And I'm like, well, thanks, Dad. But unfortunately, it happens every day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and we laugh about it, but it, it's it's the truth. And and again, you know, it really has opened up conversations. And let's talk about, you know, those struggles from the business side as well, too. Right. Yeah. Black female entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Right. The struggles there. And I don't care. I don't care what anyone says. There are definitely more challenges that you would have over somebody else. So yeah. let's talk about some of those challenges that you face and how much harder you've had to work to overcome them and prove your success. Yeah. You know, I, I was listening to Alexa, who's so enlightening every morning when she wakes me up. And there was um, there were a couple of tidbits that she that were like news highlights. And they were talking about the disparity in which uh, the pandemic has affected uh businesses of color and how the statistic and it's always different you know wherever you're listening to it it's something around somewhere around one in five um businesses have survived of of businesses of minority businesses and it's heartbreaking right and so you know that's one thing and then the flip side of it is women have traditionally been in, in the communities of color have been the breadwinners so if we are the business owner and only one out of five of our businesses are surviving, imagine what the implications of this pandemic are going to be years to come, right? Like we're, we're we, from a personal level, yes, I feel like I've always had to work harder, longer, stronger, all of those things. Right. But like, I, I tend to always think about things from like a community impact perspective and you know, I I understand that I'm in a very fortunate position, but you know, I'm an anomaly. I think the Sachs agency and myself we're anomalies in what's happening right now. And I don't, I I'm willing to work harder so that we can continue to be the statistic that helps that statistic rise. But it's just a very sad situation, um, you know, what's happening right now. And you know, it's it's like one of those things where. Uh, Yes, we're happy with having the stimulus packages and that kind of thing, but we're talking about systemic issues. We're not talking about things that can be changed with a thousand dollars. This is not a bandaid. No, those are band-aids. Right, right. We're talking about things that have to change with practices and companies, hiring practices, elevation practices, all of those kind of things. Unconscious bias. Right. This is, we're talking about things that are going to take a lot of time to to actually combat. But on a personal level, yes, I, I definitely have always felt um, an extra level of pressure to overachieve. It's probably why I got three masters. No one needs three masters degrees. <laughs> Especially hopefully, when you don't hopefully you're not still paying those off. I mean, and- <laughs> oh, unfortunately I am. Um, and, and hopefully the, the new administration will clear them. <laughs> 
just magically wipe <laughs> the slate. Let's... Wipe the slate, right? Like that's how they, they lure us in. But you know, it's fine because I feel like all of those degrees push me, you know, like I said earlier, to my purpose. So yeah, I love it. And you talk a lot about ag- advocacy-based projects at the Sachs Agency. Tell us a little bit more about a couple of those and why that work is so important to you and your co-founder. Yeah. So um, one of our first clients was actually the Debbie Allen Dance Academy, and um, they just had a Netflix release over uh, the holiday weekend, and it's doing so phenomenally well. And I think that that was one of the first projects that we got to work on where we really understood the importance of how we can transform organizations. You know, a lot of times, specifically in the nonprofit space or you know, colleges, universities, or even the state space, they don't have the marketing dollars to stand on this platform of all of the amazing things that they're doing. And when you can see that something that takes so little effort and so little brain power from you can completely transform the operations of people who are impacting so many lives, I think it it becomes, you know, humbling. Um, for us as an agency, and especially for like me, like I remember, uh, you know, seeing those little girls and, and little boys on stage during these performances and thinking to myself, like, wow, like our company helped all of these performances happen across the nation, you know, Massive just impact. a small amount of work. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's sad because if you get a chance, watch the documentary, what Debbie and her husband and, and that academy are doing is just phenomenal. But those kinds of organizations are doing this all across the country, but they don't have the money to hire a SACS agency. And so we don't hear about them. Um, but I think that that was one of the first projects that pushed us along that vein. I'll, I'll say the second uh, project that really showed us where our value was in the impact space was um, the Amber Rose Foundation Walk, which uh, was a play on the very uh, famous slut walk that happened in Toronto, Canada. And I'm not, I remember, I'm not, fami- I'm not familiar with that. What's a little, a little bit of background for those who may not be aware? Yeah. Um, so it, at somewhere around 2012, I believe, there was a group of young girls who um, they they kind of like rallied together on campus because they had all been sexually assault- assaulted on campus and none of their um, assaulters had been charged. Instead, the police officer told them, had they not been dressed like sluts, then no harm would have been. No, they were no asking for it. Them. They were asking for it. Exactly. And so what they did was they started the first ever slut walk. And in starting the first ever slut walk, there he is. <laughs> yeah, there he is. In starting the first ever slut walk, he um they they basically had to dress like sluts, parade across the campus, and show that just because we're dressed this way, just because we're women, just because we're in control of our bodies and decide to look like this, that does not give you the power to exert any type of control over our lives. And so that sparked a movement where actually slut walks were happening across the entire globe. And um, Amber Rose, she had experienced a lot of different, you know, things in the media with the people that she was dating. And she decided that she wanted to be front and center when it came to this conversation. And I remember hearing slut walk like you for the first time and being like, yeah, this no, thank you. This is not a part of my brand. But once I got educated on the the connotation and and the history of the word and like why 
you know, it became such a taboo word. Uh, you know, it's a project that we embraced and we made, we, we raised millions of dollars for, we had tens of thousands of people Fantastic. attend for four years. And so those two projects, I say really started us off on the trajectory. Yeah. Kudos on that. And, and let's, you know, continue the, the conversation of giving and, you know, you're, you're very big into mentorship and you talk about the importance of it and, you know, how could someone, you know, what are some tips and advice for someone to, to find the right mentor? Like, cause I think that's where the struggle is. Everyone hears it. They think they should find a mentor. And I've been lucky. And I assume you've been lucky in your life too, where we've kind of attracted or fallen into the right relationships with mentors. But for a lot of folks, it's, it's tough. I mean, what are some of those tips to find and align with a mentor? Hmm. It is, it is really tough. It's, I don't actually have one mentor. So <laughs> well, I have a tribe, I have a tribe of mentors and, and I talk about it a lot too. I mean, I have, I have a group of men and women that I have um, built relationships with and fostered them over years and years. And I have a tribe. There isn't just one person, but it starts yep. with one. And I think that's critical. It does. It does. Um, you know, I think that mentorship is so important and it's why regardless of what I have going on in my day, um, you know, every Wednesday I, I, I mentor Crenshaw High School students and I make sure that I, I make space for that because to your point, those kids mentor me, right? Like they're, they're showing me how they are resilient in the face of things that I cannot imagine having to be faced with at this age. You know, despite already going through a pandemic, we're talking about kids that are bullied on social media, foster children, you know, they they can barely get their education done right now because they're working from home, but they have poor Wi-Fi. They yeah. have less than suitable um, electronics. I mean, just what they're faced with right now just teaches me so much that no matter how crappy my day is and how much I want to complain about a client, I get on the call with them and I hear, right, I hear their stories and I'm like, wow, you just, you just, there, everyone has a different struggle. And so, I think that finding someone who just will listen to you, like I think a lot of people look at mentors like this super guardian angel that comes into your life. Sometimes you just need like a listening ear, someone who you can talk to maybe about personal stuff. Maybe right. it's a different mentor for professional Non-judgmental. Stuff. They don't know you. Yeah. Right. They're just literally just listening to you. Sometimes that's all you need. Um, so I think that having a unbiased party to listen to you and provide an outside perspective is just monumental, I think, in, in growth and progression. Yeah. And I think, I think we, we, we all need that. So let's, let's bring it home here. And I'd love to ask you some questions that really, I think will will give everyone a perspective of who Tamara really is. And it starts with the word authentic authenticity. What does that word mean to you? And people, people throwing around all the time. And I see it everywhere. I say, I found myself guilty of saying it all the time, but what does that really mean? Yeah, I think because I like succinct, succinct definitions, um, it's just being real and transparent and being honest, right? I think there we live in a society where people are like, oh, I'm super real, but I say one thing and look one way on social media and then you see me in the elevator right. and you're like, wow, you're a whole hot mess. Um, you know, I'm very <laughs> much so what you see is what you get. I actually considered you know, putting some lashes on and lipstick for you. And I'm like, you know what? That would not be authentic because this is pretty much who I am every day. And and I I, I try to be the kind of person that walks the walk and talks the talk, right? I don't like to be, I, I don't like to sit on anything or sit on any platform that actually doesn't feel true to who I am. And I think that 
what brand a lot of brands don't realize and, and brands that work with us do is that consumers are very discerning. And I think that we're people, smarter than they think we are. Right. We're smarter. We know when you're saying you can smell through your bullshit, right? Right. I wanted to say that, but I didn't know if I could curse. But literally, See whatever right, the hell you want on the show. Is, okay. It's it's one of those things where I if I'm a marketing in a marketing person, which I am, you know, I want people to look at me and feel that I'm communicating and being authentic with them, which means that I can do that same thing for their brand. So the other piece too that I think people don't really talk about is how much more effort and how hard it is to not be yourself. The amount of work it takes to put on facades and to be something that you're not. It is so much easier. I mean, listen, I mean, I've talked about it too in my journey, my professional journey. You know, for the first 15 years, I don't think I was being my true self. And I think I thought I had to put on a front. I had to, you know, come off a different way in front of different people. And once I got over that, it was like a weight lifted off my chest when I could just be myself. And the people, yes. if you're either with me or you're not. And if you're not, that's fine. If you're with me, you're with me for the right reasons. Yes. Right. There's like that age old adage where it's like if you tell one lie, you end up telling a million because you have to cover over it. And and that's exactly what being, you know, not not being authentic does. Right. It, it puts you in this situation where it's like you have one falsehood about yourself and then you constantly are trying to cover up right. who you really are. Yeah, it's true. So. It's true. Um, Tamara, what's the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life? Who? It could be like a mantra. It could be like, you know, that wise wisdom that came down from your family ancestry. I, I literally have so many, but the one that I have in my e email signature is, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's about staying here in the present moment. Um, and I, I'm a huge Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle fan. And I think that when you work with such um, high energy clients that our team works with, you know, there are so many highs and lows throughout the day that you have to stay in this present moment because five minutes ago, you can't change, right? You can't control what happens in five minutes. You only can control this present moment. And so trying to like just stay grounded in this exact moment is has been really powerful for me because it's it allows me not to go too high or too low with the way the day can take me, right? So yeah. I, I say, I tell people all the time, like, you know, try to try to just stay in this moment. It's the only one that we can control. Yeah, that's big. And I and I appreciate that. And, and, you know, I like to end the show with positivity. And I'd love if you could share, you know, one personal and one professional silver lining that you've experienced during the last, geez, nine months, 10 months. So I think we heard one of my silver linings of this <laughs> past nine, 10 months. Um, I'm not an animal person at all. And um, funny story is that someone actually gifted me a dog last year for my birthday. And because I'm not an animal person, I ended up selling it two days later. Um, however, someone gifted me again, this, you know, during the pandemic, this particular dog, and he has been such a lifesaver. He's absolutely amazing. He has been my silver lining. Also, the person that gifted him was silver lining. Um, and then professionally, I will say that, you know, rounding out everything that we've already talked about, because of this time, our voices as an agency are coming to the forefront and, you know, people are dying to hear it and dying to be a part of it and, and partner with us. And I, we're the busiest now that we've ever been in awesome. eight years. And it's, it's a silver lining because yeah, it's sad. It took us this long to get here, but how amazing is it to be able to speak to some of the largest companies and brands in the world and have your voice wanting to be heard? 
Oh, that's awesome. And and last but not least, you know, Tamara, I want you to take a moment and think back in your in your life and your career when things weren't so great. You know, you've had those rough patches, you've had those situations, those times in your life that weren't favorable, um, and you really had to dig down deep inside and and harness that inner tenacity, that fire that drives you every day and pull yourself back up. And on the flip side of it, referring back about 30 seconds ago when you're talking about all these amazing things that are happening in your life, especially during a really crazy time, and you want to show gratitude. Tamara Keller, what is your compass? What is your North Star? My, my North Star is, is my personal purpose. Right. Like I, I work, I wake up every single day knowing that my number one goal in life is to make the people make people's lives better every time they encounter me. And so, no, it's not always easy. There are people that I want to curse out on a daily basis. However, my compass is knowing that the only way that I can truly affect change is by staying true to who I am and making sure that when people walk away from me, I've made their day a little bit better. And so that's just kind of how I live my life. And and it's my, my moral compass. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that and sharing your story with all of us. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. I look forward to continuing our relationship and seeing how we can continue to build and add value to each other. But Tamara, where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? So um, you can reach out to us on our website, www.thesaxagency.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Marabellers, M-A-R-A-B-E-L-L-E-R-S. Um, I'm pretty boring. <laughs> Lots of inspirational quotes and dog pictures, but um, you know, I, I'm always happy to connect. I love having these conversations because the more we talk about these issues, the further along they'll go. So I love it. I love your story. I love your journey. I wish you tons of success. Uh, I wish you a fantastic holiday and a happy new year. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And everyone joining us today, certainly appreciate you spending some time with Tamara and I hope that you were able to walk away with a ton of value insight and please connect with Tamara. She's awesome. And you know where to connect and find out more with us. We are at the podcast.com. If you love this episode, please leave a review rating. It goes a long way. Please share it with your friends. You know where to find us. Remember, Take care of each other, stay six feet apart, and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search the podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.